0: Uh, this last weekend, uh, Mike and I actually had the opportunity, we went down to uh, the wonderful city of Los Angeles and uh, went to the beach and went and saw a show while we were there. And uh, before we went to the beach, who loves the beach by the way? Summer, summer is in session, Michaela loves the beach, we're ready to go. And so we, I mean, I, I'm just, I was, I was ready to go. So we we, we we drove down and before we went to the beach, we went and procured some goods over at Target Necessary things before you go to the beach, things like uh, extra-long beach towels, um, shades, and, of course, the ever-popular sunscreen. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, um, I'm a little bit of the darker complexion, while Micah, on the other hand, is a little bit of the lighter complexion. Um, And it's not, there's nothing against it, it's just that he's lighter than I am. And so I'm, like, looking for, like, SPF, like, 15, maybe 30, while Mike is looking for like medicinal quality, like pharmaceutical stuff, salt over the counter that comes out like Elmer's glue so that he doesn't burn. And so, but while I was like looking at this, when I was looking at the, 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 uh, sunscreen, I notice at the bottom, there's like, there's all like the suntan oils and stuff. Like it's like SPF four through five. And like, and I'm thinking like at this point, if you're, I mean, I'm sorry if you, I'm not sorry if you use this, if you use this and, and, just like if, you, if you're like, I really want to protect my skin, but I also want to brown myself. Like, you know, why don't you just like bronze yourself or just get brown paint at this point or like lick your skin would protect your skin better than actually buying SPF four or five. So so, anyways, we, so we head on the beach and uh, so we decided my, when we got there, I didn't say I decided. Mike decided he's like, let's get in the water. And we're like, it's only like 10 degrees. That makes sense. So so we, we're like, okay, let's hop in the water. So we, so we get in the water, and it tastes like a giant salting cracker. And <laughs> we start swimming out, and we're like jumping up and down the waves and all this stuff. And we start to notice that um, I start to notice because my doesn't have glasses on at this point. And, uh, <laughs> and so that like our stuff is like over here and we're like out in the middle of the ocean, like over here. And so we're like, that's not good. How do we get over here? And we're just, you know, we're kind of like waiting in the water. So I was like, Hey Mike, let's start swimming back to shore. And so even though we're going back to shore, our stuff is still way over there. <laughs> and so, um, what we figured out to do is that if I, if I looked at our bags, you know, you could actually make a better line than just trying to swim to shore. Because if you swim to shore, you guys have been in the ocean, what will happen is that you'll just kind of naturally drift with the current. You'll naturally kind of start drifting uh, away or, or, or away from kind of where your stuff is at, or kind of the different direction. And so you kind of have to pick a point to swim to in order for you to actually get to your destination. We made this shore okay. Obviously, we're still alive. Um, but <laughs> we've been, uh, as I was thinking about that, we've we, we been walking through this series called Own It. And... We've been talking about how um, some of the principles we've been sharing is that own it really just means to take responsibility, like taking responsibility for our faith, that our faith is really our own, that it is not a matter of, of you know, because you've been raised in a Christian home, because your mom and your dad do this, because, you know, you made this, you walked some, some, some aisle, you prayed some prayer, therefore now you are clear of any responsibility. But own it really means I'm taking responsibility for my faith. And we said responsibility is our response to his ability that god 's ability in, in, in our life that it's really just our response to his ability in our life and, and for me this has been great because it, it's helped me to to refocus because what I tend to do is is I'll, I'll get in this you know and, and many of us get into this this consistent kind of kind of flow of life and, and everything you know especially with school you know we got school every single week, all this stuff and so so we kind of get in this flow of what's going on and we don't realize that we're slowly drifting away from what god has intended for us to do and so when i get in these situations i just kind of say okay i've been drifting away for a little bit so here's what i need to do i gotta start praying more man i gotta start tithing more man i gotta start being nice to people i gotta stop being me i gotta stop doing stuff i gotta start doing it." And so i go and i swim as hard as i can but i'm still i'm not really focused on anything i'm just focused on doing a list of rules and then i'm still not really going in the right direction i'm still kind of going this other way and so but what i need is a is is a shift of focus to not just focus on me or the things I have to do, but I shift my focus to, to God, to him, and I, I align myself with him. And I say, okay, God, I'm, I'm not trying to work hard to do things for you, but what I'm focused on is just trying to grasp you. I, I want to look to you. And when I maintain that focus and I look to him, that's when he kind of brings all these other things in my life to come to pass things like we've been talking about owning it in the area of being generous Like we talked about last week about the boy with the loaves and the fish Uh, he was generous with what God had for him and so we we said man he was generous in his and we talked about being generous with our with our uh with our times our talent and our treasure that the things that, that that we hold dear the things that are valuable to us that we live life kind of in the expression we we say at hope kind of at our fingertips that we're willing to give those things away at a moment's notice we talked about Bartimaeus that he was a guy that took a next step in his relationship with Christ, that after Christ had done something so miraculous in his life that, that God, that, that he said, I'm, I'm going to do something else. I have to make a next step for us. So tonight, here's what I want to look at. I want you guys to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And we're t- I'm going to tell you what we're going to talk about here in a moment. But I want us to read this story. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. It says this, it says, And James, John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Which is a crazy thing to say to Jesus, first of all. <laughs> he says, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask for you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? He didn't have to say that, but he did. And he said, and he said to them, Grant us to sit on your right hand and on your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Basically, You're an idiot. That's what he's saying. No. He's saying, are you able to drink of the cup that I drink or be be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten had heard it, they became indignant of James and John and Jesus called them to him and he said to them, you know that those Uh, Who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them or they hold it over their heads and their great ones exercise authority over them But it shall not be so among you But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever will be first among you uh, Must be a slave of all And son of man came not to be served but to serve And to give his life As a ransom for many and so here we have james and john to the disciples all of them are doing equal amounts of work and they have the audacity to say hey god listen we've been doing this whole disciple thing for you for a little while you know we want to know what's in it for us like you know we want to work out a little a little bargain here, you know? And so they kind of are trying to wheel and deal here with Christ and say, okay, God, so so we're going to do this whole disciple thing for you, but we're going to make sure, like, things, like, what are things going to really look like after all this is done? We want to make sure that, that our names are remembered, that we're recognized, that we're honored because of, of 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 what we've done here on this earth past you. And Jesus basically is like, you have no idea what you're asking. And he means that in multiple ways. He means that, like... You're, you are so ignorant. <laughs> like, he's like, you have no idea. Like, literally, you don't understand the whole concept of God. He's, he's prepared this place for some other people. But you've also totally missed the whole concept of what it means to be great when you're with me. Because, see, God's concept of success and what matters and all these things is completely different from our world. Because he even uses the, the word Gentiles. He's saying, listen... The Gentiles are going to tell you that there's a certain way that they they define what a a leader is or what somebody who's great is, but that's not the way that I define greatness. That's not the way that I define success. And so we're going to look at, for a second, what does it look like? How do we define success? How, How do we see success play out in our lives? And how does God see success and greatness play out in our lives? And really, we see success as power. We think that the more I control, the more I have, the more I can accu- accumulate, therefore I am successful. We say that I am successful when, um, maybe it's, it's because you're happy. Maybe if, if you pursue some sort of emotional contentment in life, then therefore you are successful. And then we, we see success as being something of a position that if you have a place of authority, or you say maybe it's money. Maybe, maybe, I mean, if, if I can just, if I can just, man. My ideal job is this, just so I can make this much money. That would define success for me, or maybe success for you is being well known. People will know your name, and then being successful maybe be like a look, and you're saying, no, I just need to. If I can just look like this person, if I can just look like Ben, if I can just look. No, I'm just kidding. Don't look at me. If I can just look like somebody, like you're saying, like if I, can just, if I can just be like this, then that is success. If we have any of those thoughts in our heads of, as far as success, we have completely missed the point. That is not success. That's not the way that God views success. And here's what the, the Bible says about the way that God sees success. He says, here's how I see success. And if you're taking notes, this is something just to... He says, if, I'm giving you the recipe for success here, so... Everyone's like, got it. Okay, here's how. Here's how God views success. He says, success is this: seeking first His kingdom. He says, if you will seek first My kingdom and My righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. That's that's Matthew chapter six, and He says that is success for you. He says, if you want to be successful, He's like, you must. You must seek first my kingdom. Is in God's kingdom. If I put that in, in place in front of everything else, he says, all these things will be taken care of. All these things will be added unto you. But look at the last part of this verse right here, or these uh, in, uh, in Mark chapter 10. He says this, but if you want to be great, you must be a servant. He says, and if you want to be first, you must be a slave. That is completely opposite of what the world says. That's completely and totally different from what the world says success is. The success is power, but when we see these words like, like, like servant, slave, that, that does not think, our thoughts of grander success don't come to our mind when we think of things like that. But God says if you want to be successful, that is success right there. He says you must be a servant. You must be a slave to all. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight in this area of owning it. Owning it in the area of serving. But before we get into what serving is, I want to talk about this word here called humility. Because if we don't under, understand this, this word humility, we will completely miss what serving really is. Because we, we serve a lot. We do a lot of activity. But if we, if we, miss, and if we, if we miss humility... All we're doing is just activity. All we're doing is just busy work. If we've missed the heart and the intention of why that we do what we do towards other people and all it is is just an action and not a heart thing, we, you might as well just, just get paid to do it because it, it has so much more to do with the heart. And humility is this. We say that humility is regarding others as better than yourself. Simple as that. Humility is regarding others as better or more important than yourself. That's how we view humility. And humility is this, is this heartbeat of, of, of how serving takes place. Serving is not this thing where we can sign up for. It's not this thing where it becomes a project. It's not this, this, this thing that we do once a week at this time in this place. Serving is not any of those things. But it begins with this idea that I view and see others as being more important than myself. That's the Philippians chapter 2. When, when, when Paul says that, 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 that we must, in order to be humble, we must view others in this way. And he says, he says just like Jesus, he says that, 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 that he... He lowered himself to the form of a, certain, a servant and that he, he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That He said even the God of the universe understands this concept of making yourself low in order to serve other people as viewing others as more important than yourself. And we have to understand that part first before we understand this idea of serving. And so here's what I want us to understand. Here's what we're going we're to talk about this. Owning it in the area of serving tonight. I'm going to tell you one lie and two truths. You guys know that game? Like one lie, two truths. You know what I'm talking about? Like if I... Nobody. Okay. Anyways. Never mind. Austin looked like he like knew what I was talking about. He's like, yeah, of course I know. And then like, Clay's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So just like, where was I? Ta- who was I talking to? Brendan. Okay. Seriously, this is totally a side tangent. Does anybody know what the high and tight haircut is? Oh my gosh, okay, never mind. I'm so done. I'm going to pray and just get over with, okay? Anyways, anyways, we're so done. I was not going to Google that later now. Don't Google it now. So uh, so, so, here's how I want us to communicate this. Two truths in a, or, or a lie, and we're going to start with the lie first about serving. Um, and here's, here's the lie. It's that first slide up there, uh, Alec. It says this, you can own your faith. Without serving. The lie is that you can own your faith without serving. When you and I take the gospel as seriously as we can, we understand that the gospel is not praying a prayer. The gospel is not you walking down an aisle. It's not the fuzzy feelings on the inside of your stomach that you get when you walk into church. That's not the gospel. The gospel is is this incredible change in your life that Christ actually resides in you and that the life of Christ lives through your life. That is the Christian life. It's nothing different than that. We can't sell you this, this bag of tricks that tells you I mean, all you got to do is pray a prayer and start doing these things and start reading your Bible all the time, and that's it. You're a Christian. You're good to go. But, he, but here's what we've also believed, we also believe: that we can own our faith without it fleshing out practically in our lives through the area of serving. But you and I, we can't do that. We can't separate the two. Because here's why. Because Jesus says this at, 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 in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If the Christian life is not your life, but literally Christ's life inside of you, being expelled through your life, as in the Christian life, you not living it, Christ living your life. That's why we call it the Christ life, because Christ actually lives his life in and through you. His spirit resides in you. If this is the spirit of Christ fleshing out in scripture that for the son of man came not to be served but to serve then if Christ is residing inside of us we have no other choice but to let that life live through us. If Christ is in us then we have Christ compassion. We have Christ desires. And these Christ desires is that man I regard everybody as better than myself. I don't just regard the people that I like. I don't just regard the people that are cool. He says, every person is better than me. Every person is more important than me. If that is Christ's attitude towards the world, how Christ's power and spirit, of us, then that is, then that, and that is the spirit that lives in you and I and desires to express itself daily in us. And so because of what he has done, we do the same. Here's the, here's the truth. Here's one of the truths that we have. You own your faith when you serve without being asked. You own your faith when you serve without being asked. Many times we say, you know, hey guys, we want you to serve your friends or serve your family. And we're like, there's no opportunity. We don't know. There's nothing to do. We don't know what to do. We don't have all, we don't have all the answers. There's, there's nobody. And, and let me just be honest with you here. And this may come as a shock to some of you, but I just want to be real for a moment. Your friends don't walk around with a sign up sheet for volunteer work in their life. Like, I wish they did. You know, like, I wish it was that simple. I wish, like, I wish the people that I went to school with had a very simple sheet or, or like, maybe it was like a lanyard or something like that that just said, Hey guys, if you could serve me between 9 and 10 on Saturday, that'd be great. Are you free during that time? And you're like, Let me look at my schedule of other serving opportunities I have. Yes, that's great. No, we don't... When we, when we wait for these invitations, when we wait for invitations, let me tell you what happens. We miss opportunities to be Jesus in someone else's life. When we wait, we, we miss these opportunities that, that Christ says, no, I, I want you to go out there and I'm going to say this other I word that used to drive me crazy because my dad used to tell me this all the time. And if you are a guy, I know you know this word because guys are the worst at this. It's this word called initiative, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, how many of the guys in the room was like, "Man, my dad has said that all the time." Okay. So you could. Yes. Thank you so much. Okay. Finally, get a hand raised. And so, <laughs> uh, and, and, and let me tell you. And it's gonna take you. Um, it's gonna take you a minute to figure this out, guys, girls. You already understand this, so you guys are perfect. So. Uh, <laughs> But but this idea, this concept of, of initiative that, that I used to hate this word growing up. But, but listen, this word is so vital for you to understand that, that we can't wait for the invitation to come. We can't wait for them to just have this 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 devastating thing in life happen for the obvious to happen. But you and I must take the first step and say, hey, listen, can I help you? Hey, how are you doing? And we've, I've challenged my small group guys to ask those kind of questions, you know, to their friends at school, you know, how are you doing? You know, those kind of things, very leading, very non, you know, confronting questions, just very normal American, North American conversation questions, but that you would, you would say, Hey, listen, how can I help you? Those are such, those are some simple, simple words and, and, and words like, how are you? Make the world of a difference to the guy that's dispensing your gas or the guy that's, that's behind the counter at McDonald's, the person that's giving you your drink at Starbucks or wherever context you're in. That this, this, this idea of serving is not necessarily that you and I would like get on our hands and knees and like try to wash something, but that you and I would treat others as being more important than ourselves, that that would take place in every single context that we live in but we can't wait for them just to say hey i need this right now you and i have to recognize everybody needs this all the time they, everybody needs it at all times and, and here's here's what's so crazy and and here's my southern baptistness coming out by the way um there's a young man in the back mr South fowler who's going to be with us this summer he's back there sitting down there he's our intern uh for hope and so Um, but, but, uh, Seth is very familiar with alliteration in the South because a lot of pastors like to use a lot of, a lot of, you know, same first lettered words to drive a point home. So I'm going to use that here in a moment to teach a point here. (laughs) So, but, but here's, here's what I want. Here's what I want you guys to understand. Serving is not, is not tied to a position. Okay. Serving is not tied to a position. Okay, it's, it's not because, hey, listen, I serve th- because I work in VIP. I serve because I work in Hope for Kids. I work because I do, the, uh, you know, I serve because I work in the band or any of these things, or I serve because I run a camera. And I'm not downplaying those things at all. Those are, seriously, when I hit, hear me say this, those are all incredibly important things. But if your heart in the issue is strictly because it's saying, I validate, I serve because of what I do on a weekend, and if that's the only time that I serve, then we have an issue. If that becomes a thing that you say, I'm in hope for kids, therefore I serve, but I don't look like that any other time during the week, then we have a heart issue. Then we have something that you and I need to talk about because it's not just constricted to a time or to a place that you and I have to see that, that, that serving is not just the position that you and I feel, but it's a con- a constant heart and a constant attitude. And so that it's, that it's not tied to a position Here's the truth. It's not tied to a personality. That you and I sometimes throw the excuse up, and, and, I, and I can't th- tell you guys how, how frustrating this is, because it's like, well, I'm just not that kind of person. I'm not that kind of person. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't talk well in front of people. I don't, I don't interact well in conversations. I don't do this. I don't do that. That's not me. That's not this. God did not rescue you and say, hey, listen, I'm going to rescue you, but your personality is going to be you know, the same way. You know, like, you're just going to, you know, like, I'm going to, I'm going to save you and rescue you. But listen, I know you don't want to talk a lot, so I won't make you talk much. And so, no, that's not what God said. No, here's what's so, and here's where we get so mixed up in this area is because we place so much identity in ourselves so that we don't recognize, like we were talking about earlier, that when Christ literally resides in you, that Christ is in you. That Christ's life is in you and that your identity is not in you or your personality traits anymore. That your identity is now in the person of Jesus. That's where it lies in. And if this is what the scripture is saying, if scripture is saying that, listen, I came to serve, not to be served, then that is the life that is in you right now. If you are saying that you are a Christian, that is the life that is in you. You cannot disagree with that. If you are saying Christ is the Lord and he has control over my life, this is the life that is in you. And the third thing is this, that serving is not tied to projects. So we have position, personality projects. Here we go. The Southern Baptist thing for you. So, but it's not based upon projects. It's not just about these these short moments of time where you're just like, okay, I'm just going to serve for this amount of time. I'm going to go out and be a part of the homeless shelter here. And then that's my serve. And then my once a month serve, I'm going to go here. Or it's only with this thing. We have to see that this this idea of serving is a continual process for us. And here's what I want you guys to understand. Serving is really simple. And you might say, well, this sounds like very complicated, like I have to do a lot of things. And really, you don't. But here's what I want you guys to understand. When I say it's simple, I'm not saying that it's easy or it's comfortable. But you're simply saying this. When you say, I want to serve somebody, here's here's what you're saying. You are voluntarily saying, how can I practically show the love of Christ in your life? If you want to write that down as, as far as like a way of saying that you want to serve, man, mean, how can you practically show the love of Christ in someone's life? If that kind of question is something that you can, you can hold with you daily, that when you see the relationships and the people at school, and as you go throughout the summer and you see the places you hang out, or the people that you work with, and what you hold to the forefront is, how can I practically show love of Christ in their life? How can I practically show them that Jesus loves them? How can I practically show them and say, how can I make your life better? Because we still have that mindset. Remember that I see you as being more important than myself. I see you as being better than me. And so how can I make that real? Instead of being just words I talk about, how can that be real? And here's, here's that second truth I want to share with you. When you own it in the area of serving, you gain influence. You gain influence. When, uh, when we've been talking with you guys for a while now about you know inviting students or, or or being representatives in your school and trying to talk to your friends about Jesus and all these things, you know some of the first stuff that comes up is like, well, "I still know what to do. I still know what to say." You know, or what if they bring up? you know, creationism? What if they bring up, like, the authenticity of the Bible? Do I have to share with them, like, all the manuscript evidence, all the apologetic stuff? Like, do I have to know, like, you know, the entirety of Scripture? There's 66 books written by this many authors, and over the course of 1,500 years. You know, like, you don't, like, that's the kind of stuff that, that that nine times out of ten, when we ask you guys, like, why are you so afraid? Because, well, I just don't know how I'm going to present the gospel to them. You know, and, and, and we, and we get ourselves all worked up over the words that we say, say but really that you and I have to understand that we gain influence in people's lives by how we live around them. And obviously... We share the gospel in that, and we, we, we know, and they know that we are followers of Jesus. But when we serve the people around us, that gives them insight into the character and the people of who we are. That shows them that we're authentic, that we're real, that we really do care. That there is really a God that lives and resides inside of us, and that can do the same thing in their life as well. And that God wants to use their life for his glory. And, and, so, and so, when you and I serve, and we and we do things for people and we love people and that shows in their life. When that kind of things happen, people listen to you. I promise you, if you have, if you have, if you're having a hard time talking to somebody, start to serve them, start to love them, start to, start to say things like, how are you? How can I help you? Those sort of things that can move your life forward in their life. And that eventually I'm telling you, and and I wish I could sit here and tell stories of people in my life. That, that I've had the opportunity to, to talk to where it hasn't come down to this, like, where well, well, the guy just says, like, he's just like, okay, well, I get everything, but just explain this to me. Like, no. When, when, there's that, when, when you have that history of somebody where you're continually serving their life and you gain influence into their life, they see that's real. And we have to trust. And here's, here's the part I want you guys to understand so much more is that when we think that it's about the words that we say or something? Or so, we have to be so articulate to, to convert somebody or to bring somebody in a relationship with Christ, that we put so much pressure on us that we diminish the power of God, that it's really God working in this person's life more than we are. That it's really just God saying, hey, listen, I just want you to be available. I want you to see, I want them to see the authentic, real life of Christ in you. And I, let me tell you, I'll do the work. I will bring them to me if you will just simply just love on these people, if this will become real for you, you will gain incredible amounts of influence over people because people will respect you. This is what he's talking about here. When he says, whoever will be great among you must be the servant. He's not just talking about people. Like, he's not just talking about in the kingdom where you know you and I see you know humility in this crazy way. And actually, I, I missed something earlier and I want us to, to look at it for a moment was this idea that humility, we think humility means weakness. We think humility means like this timidity, like timid, scared, like mm, like you know, like we've gotta like like we like we're like this we got, like raggedy clothes, I guess. I have like this this image of like a hermit in my brain or something, like you know and like that's our idea of humility, like humility is this. But that's not humility at all. Humility is not this this meekness in the sense of where we're weak and broken and frail and that we're timid around people and all these things. But no, but that humility is in essence confidence. Humility is in essence power, but it's not your power. It's God's power working through you because you recognize that you are weak, that you are frail, that you are broken, but that does not make you appear that way. Humility does not make you appear weak. Humility does not make you appear timid or or, or mild. Humility, when it flushes out in your life, gives you incredible power and incredible confidence to have authority in other people's lives that you can't have by just talking around this idea of Christianity or talking around this idea of God because it becomes much more real when you and I see that it's really the life of Christ expressing itself through you. So here's how I want us to close tonight. Here's, here's something I want to say. As, as we finish off this, this series, this is the last week we're going to do this whole talk on, being, on, on Own It. I want us to understand something tonight. As, as, as we've talked through all these concepts over the last you know month or so, there's something I want us to understand as, as we talk about this. And I want you guys to turn to Romans chapter 10 for me. Romans chapter 10 in the verses 1 through 4. And, and here's what I want you guys to, to understand is that times when times when we finish off something like this, when we finish off a series, we, we have like this, this, this attitude of like, okay, I know what I got to do. I'm going to, I'm going to make this list of things and I'm going to wake up at 6:30 every day this summer. I'm going to read the Bible for two hours. I'm going to pray and I'm going to do all these things. And it's like all these great intentions. And it's really just, we're just banging our heads up against the wall because it's so, you know, we've done this a million times and it doesn't work. And something I want you guys to know is that we're not asking you guys to create a list for yourselves to feel more pressure and to feel more uh, basically burdened to, to try to walk with God. That's not what we're asking you guys to do. Here's what I want you guys to see. In Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 4, he says this, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul here is talking about the, the Israelites and he says, man, you know, in the Old Testament days, man, the Israelites, they were they were awesome at this idea of serving God. Man, they were they were professionals at it. They had the whole sacrifice system down. Like they were so incredibly good at worshiping God. They could, they could basically go through the motions like any other person could do. He says, they were exceptional at it. He says, but for I bear them witness that they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What he's saying here is that, man, these guys were so good at being professional religious people. They could pull it off better than anybody else could, but they missed the zeal because they were pursuing some good things. Listen, listen. Going to church is a great thing, and for them, being a part of the temple stuff was good stuff. It's not like they were getting into bad things, and he's saying they pursued all this stuff, and they pursued doing the sacrifices and all these things. And for us, in our context, here's what this looks like. Is that when we, we see something like this, and we say, okay, I've got to start doing this, and doing this, and doing that. And really, we're, we're missing the point if, if after a talk like this, or after a series like this, we go back and we say, okay, I'm going to pray more or I'm going to, to worship harder, I'm going to do something more. If, if you and I walk away from this and start to categorize the things around God and say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to pursue worship. I'm going to pursue discipleship. I'm going to pursue mentorship or Bible study or prayer or all these things. And we start putting up these kind of these circles around God and we start going after these things, we miss it because all we're pursuing is activity. We're pursuing professionalizing ourselves to be Christians. That's what we're doing. If you and I think that, that okay, if I just walk and just try to pursue these things around God, maybe maybe my life will be better. Maybe maybe things will make sense to me. And, and for me, when I was when I read this verse, I've been reading through Romans for about almost eight months now. And and when I read this scripture, this this just wrecked me because I, for me. When I think about things like leading worship, you know that can for me at times become the thing that I pursue. that could be the thing that I pursue, and that, and that I get so caught up in, in doing that and making that good and all these things that I miss God for all of it because that becomes something for me that I pursue, and that, and i 'm not doing horrible things we 're not doing bad things, and, but we get caught up in trying to pursue what 's good as opposed to what 's best and so here 's what I want us to understand to see that. That you and I, walking away from this, simply our pursuit is not anything around God, but strictly God himself. Like that's what we have to go for. That we have to want and need him. And sometimes for us, it's, it's, we, we say, okay, well, I, sometimes I just don't want to. And that's okay, because we're still flesh. I'm still flesh. Sometimes I wake up in the mornings and I'm like, man, the last thing I want to do is wake up and open my Bible. But here's what I, here's what I look at. It's not, it's not me that needs to pursue God. God. It's Christ in me because Christ in me is the one that draws me to God himself. And so when I recognize that, I honestly cry out to God, God, it's, I, I don't know why this morning, but I just don't want to do this. God, would you help me to do this? Sometimes we're almost afraid to pray these really authentic, honest prayers to God because we're almost afraid that he, might get mad like he doesn't know, you know, what's going on in our heads. But, but really, it's okay to be authentic and real with God. It's okay for you and I to pray those prayers of, God, I'm not really quite feeling it right now. Can you help me? God, I'm really not understanding you right now. Can you help me? Because in those moments when we're crying out to God like that, here's what we're actually saying. God, I recognize the answer is in you. God, I recognize that you're all I need. I recognize that you're sufficient for me. God, I recognize that you're the best thing for me. That's why I'm pursuing you for the answers because I can't find it in myself and I can't have the drive or desire myself. I can't make myself want enough, but I know that you can. So here's what I want us to close tonight. As we we pray and as we we respond, here's what I want us to do. I want us to, to acknowledge that I mean, there's been a lot of misplaced passions where we get so on fire. Where We get fired up about maybe a service. We get fired up about worship. We get fired up about teaching. We get fired up about Bible study or small groups or serving or whatever it is. But those aren't the things that we're pursuing. We're not pursuing serving. We're not pursuing generosity. We're not pursuing the things around God. We're pursuing God himself because all these things that we've been talking about for the last four weeks are evidences of Christ in your life. That's what it is. That's the evidence of Christ in your life. That's how the Christ life shows in you. But we don't pursue those things to make those things happen. We pursue God to make those things happen because God is the one who's expelling that life, that Christ life through you. That's what you and I have to recognize. So when we respond tonight, here's what I want us to pray. Here's what I want you guys to pray for. I want you guys to ask yourself these these two questions. I want you to ask yourself... Okay, e- evaluating what I've seen the series, is, is the Christ life even really in me? As in, is that, is that Christ life really me? Have, have I been sold, to, have, I, have I thought that this Christianity is really just praying a prayer, or really just, you know, walking down an aisle, or maybe it's just going to church, or maybe just attending, or just doing the things? And I haven't really had a heart for it, and I recognize that. And I want you to pray tonight with me as, 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 we, as we close that, I mean, that that you would pursue this Christ's life, that you would recognize that, yes, you want God to be in control of your life, that you want more than just the Sunday experience, but that you really want Christ in your life, that you want him to live life through you. But then if, if tonight, if you're saying, yes, okay, I understand, I'm a Christian, and just like I said at the beginning, I tend to, to get with the flow of stuff and get dr- and drift away, but I have to refocus myself but I don't need to to focus on other things. I don't need to focus on just serving or just being generous or all these things. I need to focus on God himself. And so that's what we're going to do when we pray tonight. We're going to pray for for those two things. So here's what I want to say. I want us to bow our heads tonight. I want the band to come up. So for the first group tonight, for those of you that would say, yes, I have, I have a relationship with God, but I've just, I've just drifted away. Here's what I want your prayer to look like tonight. Here's what I want your responsibility to be like tonight. I want you to talk to God about your need for him. Saying, God, I only need you. I don't just want the fluff anymore. I don't just want the things around you anymore. I just want you because you will do the things in me that you've promised you will do. And you trust that God will live that life through you. So talk to God right now in these moments and say, God, I just want you. For the second group tonight, if you've bought into this lie that the Christian life is just, Strictly an appearance-based thing you know, to plead you, through no the prayer, but simply to be open to your heart to have a conversation about what that looks like, because leading through you to, through the prayer time is not going to make you a stronger Christian or even make you a Christian but recognizing that you have a desperate need for God and that you exchanging your life for his, that is what makes you a believer. And you recognize his sacrifice and he comes in and resides in you. And you know that. So if, you wanna, if, if you're if you one of those people that, that, that you're saying, I, I, I need to know, I need to know that I have a relationship with Christ. I need to know that Jesus is in me, that he's living inside of me. And I don't know that I've known that before tonight, I've just been doing the Christian thing. I've been going to church and 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 being a being a part of refuge or being a part of service or just being and showing up in places, thinking that makes me a Christian. I bet you tonight, when we when we stand up to to sing, I want you to to come and to talk with me in the back. And we're gonna have some other people there in the back as well. Some small group leaders that might need to come back to, um, to talk to you about what that means to really begin that relationship with Christ. It's more than just about. The outside showing these things. But it is about Christ in your life. Christ residing in you. And these evidences showing themselves in your life.